Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, well, we are on to, I think, what will be our last theme episode of the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to talk about the significance of baptism today. That's something that kind of bookends the Gospel of Mark. It comes up right at the beginning in chapter 1 and comes up at the end in chapter 16 and is something that there's a lot of confusion about, a lot of different ideas out there about baptism. And I think it's helpful to uh, you know, go through the text and see what uh, we have in Mark. We'll go to a couple other places as we go, but um, it's really important, um, something that is focused on in Scripture and helpful for us to come back to scripture about it. Baptism is one of those topics that if you were to grab 10 people off the street and say, hey, what does the Bible say about baptism? You would probably get 10 different answers. There's just a lot of different views and a lot of different thoughts on that. And so one of the best things we can do is just let the Bible define it for us. And so the Gospel of Mark thankfully does that for us. And so we'll get to talk about that today. Yeah, that's right. So let's begin um, Mark chapter 1. Um, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And, of course, Mark opens uh, in verses 2 and 3 with uh, this uh, prophecy from the Old Testament about John the Baptist. And the first thing it tells us about John the Baptist is in verses 4 and 5. This is Mark 1, verses 4 and 5. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Yeah, so I just noticed the ESV is actually a little bit different from the New American Standard. In verse 4, it says, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And y'all might remember when we went through episode 1, Stephen and I expressed our like of instead of saying John the Baptist, uh, John the Baptist, it'd be John the Baptizer, right? Because it just kind of defines like what he was doing. It's like I don't know, Stephen the preacher or Chase the, the evangelist. You got John the Baptist. Uh, he's that's what he's out there doing, and so that's what he's identified as. Mm-hmm. And it says baptism or baptized or like three times in these two verses. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins, and they're all going out in verse 5 and being baptized by him in the river Jordan. So one thing that's just helpful from the get-go here is to realize what the word baptism is. It, it is not actually a translation of the word. So it's so a New Testament originally written in the Greek language, and the word that is behind our English word for baptize is the Greek word baptizo. Sounds pretty similar. Yeah, Baptized, baptizo. And that's because when the Bible was being translated into English, instead of translating the word and putting the equivalent English word, they did what's called transliterating it, where they just took the Greek letters and substituted English letters for them. And so that it, the translation doesn't actually come across because the word hasn't been translated. But what does the word baptizo actually mean yeah so it literally means to dip or to plunge or my favorite word is immerse uh, for something to get immersed completely covered up in water um i love you learn over in john the third chapter that john the baptizer was there uh in anon near salem 
because there was much water there and the people were coming and were being baptized by him. So that's John 3 verse 23. And in that you really learn like what baptism is. It's, it's in water. It's being immersed in water. Um, so it, they needed a large body of water in order to do that. Right. So if it was just like a sprinkling or a pouring, like you wouldn't need like a whole river to right. do that. You wouldn't need to go to a place where water was plentiful. And uh, that you would need that if you need, if you're going to immerse somebody. Yeah. And if it was a sprinkling or pouring, we actually have other Greek words for those two specific words. And that's not what's used here. It's, it's baptizo. Yeah. One other verse on that is just from the book of Acts in Acts chapter 8 and verse 38. When Philip encounters the official from uh, Ethiopia uh, in verse 38, he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Yeah, that makes sense. He, he immersed him. Yep. That, they both went down in the water because if it was, again, you're just like going along with the chariot in the road, and you go going to sprinkle somebody, you don't have to stop the chariot. Like Just sprinkle some of the water on him or whatever. But it literally, to baptize means to immerse, to yeah. dunk. So it would make sense in Mark's account in Mark 1.5 that as he's doing this, they're at the Jordan River doing it. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of water there. That's right. Now, notice this isn't just a for fun dunking fest that they're having down at the Jordan. Uh, I mean, we, we would do that at the at the lake you yeah. know, growing up. And uh, the guys get to horse playing and you, you'd, you'd baptize people, but it's not for forgiveness or right. repentance. Uh, you might have to do some repenting afterwards. Um, <laughs> So he says he's he's baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. These are two really important concepts. One is that this baptism is connected with the act of repentance. Again, that's one of those Bible words that we have to slow down and define. To repent, it literally means to change your mind, to change your purpose. And it's a decision of Faith. I'm not going to live like I've been living. I'm going to change my life. I'm going to turn around. Um, a complete turn. Um, so these people are being baptized to show that they are changing. It is a physical act. You're being dunked in water to show that you have made a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of purpose. And he, he states that it's for the forgiveness of their sins. Um, it is notable in verse 5 that they were confessing their sins as well. They're saying, here's the things I've done wrong. And I think the idea is, I'm done with those things. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change. I'm going to be lowered into the water, which is kind of like a burial. And then I'm going to be raised out of the water, which is kind of like a resurrection. And I'm going to change my life. I'm going to repent. Like, you can be dunked, but if there's no decision behind it, if there's no motivation to change, then you're just getting wet. Like it's not just an outward thing that is in and of itself powerful. It is something that shows what is going on inside. That's the most significant part. Yeah. And it's important to note as well. Remember, John is doing this as it was prophesied about him too in verse two to prepare the way. Um, verse 3 of Mark 1 also says he was making ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. The people are doing this because John's getting them ready for Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, you got to be workable. you got to be moldable. And so to submit yourself in baptism, to say, I'm repenting, I'm changing, I'm ready, it's like saying, Jesus, come, I'm ready to do whatever it is you need me to do. 
And it's very interesting because who shows up in the very next scene? Jesus. And what happens to him? First thing, he's going to be baptized. And it's funny, in Matthew's account, John actually almost tries to stop Jesus. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, <laughs> you need to be baptizing me, not me baptizing you. And Jesus says, permit it at this time. We're going to fulfill all righteousness by doing this. And so um, he allows him to be baptized. But uh, you want to read that for us there? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So Mark 1 and verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens. You are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. So this is a critical moment. I mean, this is the kind of first public act of Jesus's ministry. Up to this point, he's been a carpenter from Nazareth. To my knowledge, he's not like doing a lot of miracles or anything like before this. And then one day he goes out to John in the wilderness, Jordan River, and everything changes. Uh, this is going to be a pivotal moment in Jesus's life. He spent roughly 30 years up to this point, you know, just being a normal dude. And now he is going to begin his ministry. And so he comes, he's baptized, and, and the Lord chooses this moment. There's only like, what, twice? In Jesus' life, where God speaks out of the heavens. Yeah, that we know of. It's here and the transfiguration. Right, Mark 9. But he comes up out of the water, and immediately he sees the heavens being torn open, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. It's pretty rare that we also see all three persons of God in the same text. And here you've got the, the Son, God the Son, being baptized, immersed in the Jordan River, You've got God the Spirit descending in the form of a dove. And then you've got the Father's voice coming from heaven. Verse 11, a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. If if all parts of God are like coming together in a moment, you know this is important. This is significant. And so Jesus, he's not repenting. He's not needing to be forgiven of his sins. But he's fulfilling all righteousness like we can read in Matthew 3. And this is the moment where God shows him putting his spirit on Jesus. Like that was one of the things the prophecies talked about Jesus. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor, Isaiah 61, places like that. And there's going to be a parallel uh, when we get into the book of Acts. Yeah. So Peter, Lord willing, um, actually in a couple weeks, we'll get to talk more about Peter's sermon there in Acts 2. But after he convinces the people that they killed Jesus and that they actually need him to be saved, um, in verse 37 of Acts 2, the people hear this message from Peter. They're pierced to the heart. They say to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And so here, Peter, he is telling the people that they also need to be baptized. But what I love about this passage in Acts 2 is yet again, in 38 and 39, you see all three persons of God. You see, of course, you need to be baptized in the name of who? Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. And what are you going to receive? The gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will now dwell in you. And to a Jewish audience, there's a lot of things that are going through their minds as they hear Peter say this. And Lord willing, we'll talk about that in a few podcasts later. 
And then in the very next verse, the promises for you and your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. All three persons of God are involved in the baptism of those who need forgiveness of sins as well. Um, and of course, I think without a doubt, we can all say that's all of us. Um, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned and we need to be forgiven. And there seems to be an importance in baptism playing the key role in that to have your sins washed away. Yes. And to be clear about that, it's it's abundantly clear in scripture that the thing that does the washing away of our sins is the blood of Jesus. I mean, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We have a Amen. song and uh, that, that's incredibly important. Baptism itself, it, there's nothing holy about the water or nothing about the water itself, but it's us putting our faith in Jesus and what Jesus commanded that Jesus said, this is the moment. This is when you're forgiven of your sins. And I think it's just so cool here that Mark has Jesus being baptized and that's the moment that God puts his spirit on Jesus. And here that in Acts 2, that's the moment that, you know, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit um, and forgiveness of sins, like like the baptism of John, although there's some differences between the baptism of John, baptism of Jesus. But one other thing that's interesting is this is also the moment when God says to Jesus, you are my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. And we also learn that when we are baptized into Jesus, we become part of God's family. Uh, Galatians 3 uh, verses 26 and 27 says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And so there's this idea of sonship like or daughtership. You know, When we are baptized into Jesus, we also become God's beloved son. Now, mm-hmm. not like the capital S, son of God. That's uniquely Jesus. But there's a sense in which we share brotherhood with Jesus. We, we are sons and daughters of the king when we enter his family. And baptism is that. That ceremony, that picture of dying and rising that brings us into Christ. And so that kind of ties in, he's talking about dying and rising into Christ, uh, that kind of ties us into something we've brought up. You all are probably tired of hearing it, but Mark 8.31, Mark 9.31, and Mark 10.32. The three times in Mark's gospel where Jesus is trying to communicate to his disciples that not only is he going to die, he's going to be crucified, but he's going to be buried, and then he's going to rise three days after that. He oh. explains that three different times there. Anytime something's important, you say it over and over. That's There's exactly not too right. many things that are repeated like three times in the gospel. But Jesus says this three times, yep. and it's significant not just for Jesus, but it's significant for us. Yes, amen. And so we, we really, I think, we need to connect that with our own personal death burial, and resurrection. Stephen talked a good bit about that in the last podcast. But you really don't need us to point that out to you because Paul actually makes the same exact point in Romans 6. Yeah, that's right. Going over to Romans 6, again, Paul is writing to Christians. He's writing to people who have been immersed in water for the forgiveness of their sins, having repented of those sins and put their faith in Jesus. And he's reminding these Christians of what that baptism should have meant to them. And so that's the context of this. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1, Paul writes to these Christians in Rome, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? 
By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I just love this passage. Um, And Paul's emphasis here is not on like the necessity of baptism, but he's talking about the point at which they became in Christ, the point at which they died with Christ, buried with Christ. Jesus, again, over and over, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again. I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again. I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again. And so Paul says, do you realize what baptism means? Baptism is where you are following in the footsteps of Jesus. You are dying. And in some ways the dying is, I think, almost like the repentance part of it, where that decision of like, I'm dead to my old self. I'm dead to my sin. I'm, I'm moving on from that life. And what do you do with a dead guy? Bury him. You bury him. And in this case, thankfully, it's not literally being buried alive, but it's being buried in water for just a couple seconds. And so you are buried in that watery grave, so to speak. And then you are raised with Christ to live as a resurrected person. This is a way of life now. You've got to live like a resurrected guy. And so this is what he says. In verse 4, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And his point in the context is not just about their one-time baptism, but about their ongoing resurrected life. He's like, you guys can't keep sinning and living like a dead guy, dead in sin. You need to live like God has raised you from the dead. And, and again, this is why baptism is so significant, not just because it is where we receive the promise of God, but because it is the significant point at which we totally change how we're living. That is the point of baptism in these passages. And for those of us who've been baptized, we need to, to really contemplate that all the time. Like this is, it's a bit like, you know, when you, when you get married, like that's the point where everything changes and you can look down at like your wedding ring and be like, yeah, okay. Like I'm, I made those vows. I said like, you know, till death do us part, you know, you and you alone forsaking all others, all the typical things in the, in the vows. And it's a reminder of like, nope, like I died to myself when I got married and now I'm living for somebody else where the two become one. And it's like that in baptism. It's like, okay, like I'm done with my old self. I'm now living for the Lord. He calls the shots. I'm submitting to him. He's forgiving me as I repent of my sins. And it's a beautiful relationship. You know, Stephen's talking about another word for that is a covenant. Um, and when Jesus was, after the Passover, taking the Lord's Supper and instituting that for his disciples in Mark 14, you all might remember what he said whenever he took the cup and gave thanks and gives it to the to his disciples he says in mark 14:24 this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many and truly i say to you i will never again drink the fruit of the vine until that day which i drink it new in the kingdom of god you know baptism is such a good and important conversation to have because it is at that point that we come into contact with the blood of jesus 
But you know, really, Stephen, I was just sitting here thinking about it. It's really not only Jesus's blood that's being shed. Uh, it's his blood that's being shed to cover our sins, for sure. But when we decide to be baptized, we're putting ourselves to death. Our blood is being shed, in a sense. And and it, it is a blood pact. It is a blood covenant that I'm giving all that I have to Jesus. And of course, it's ultimately by his blood. And so that's another helpful thing for me to think about, that this is a serious covenant because blood was shed. Exodus 24, 6-8 talks about some of that with the Israelites. And I believe we brought that up in the podcast where we covered Mark 14. So there, there are a lot of different ways we could go with this, but I hope what we've suggested just now proves to you, and it's the word that proves to you just how important baptism really is to those who want to follow Jesus. Yeah, and this will be the thing that Jesus uses to wrap up the Gospel of Mark, uh, Mark 16. And uh, I, this is, we'll just spend a few minutes on this passage because this passage is just one of the most clear in Scripture. Now, I will just say, as, as we get into this, that we mentioned the textual question about this, uh, and we can talk about that sometime. If you have questions about that, please reach out to us. But I think you know we can go lots of other places to talk about baptism, but this is a very clear place in Scripture about the connection between baptism, belief, and salvation. And this is also one of those passages I know for a fact a lot of people don't even know that are in the Bible. Uh, there was a festival I was working at once with the church I was working with at the time. And I had this board up and there was a question above it that said, is this in the Bible? And they could click yes or no and it would tell them whether or not it was correct. And I had Mark sixteen sixteen written on, on the board there. And I would say about 75% of the people who took the test got it wrong. Hmm. They did not know that this verse was in the Bible. And uh, I was always eager and glad to get to share that with them. And so, of course, Mark 16, 16, this is after Jesus has been resurrected. Uh, Back up to verse 15, Jesus says to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Yeah. So if, if we really want to kind of break this verse down, there's, I think, at least five ways to think about this verse um, and kind of ways that in practice people really believe that really contradict this verse. So we'll start with these different views. Uh, One of the views is the idea that, well, he who believes and is baptized will not be saved. And and this is really the, the atheist point of view. That practically speaking, you can do whatever you want religiously, but there's no God, and so you're not going to be saved in the end. We're all going to die, and that's that's it. People may have various versions of what comes next, but there's no real basis for those things. So that's it. You believe you baptized, do what you want, but you won't be saved in the end. Yeah, and that's just so bleak and so sad, but the atheist is going to come to that passage, and that's what they're going to take away from it. They're going to rewrite it in the way that they apply it. Right. Then, of course, there's those who, who might come to this passage and say, he who does not believe and he who is not baptized will be saved. And we'd call that kind of like the universalist view. Um, right. you, you might have heard it called universalism. And it's just the idea that everyone is going to be saved in the day of judgment when Jesus comes back or whatever people think is going to happen there. They just believe God is just automatically going to send everyone to heaven no matter the case. And if we believe that that's what this passage is teaching, then... That's what you would come away with. 
right? You don't believe, don't be baptized, and then you're saved anyway. Um, very clearly not what the Bible teaches. Um, another possible position is the one who does not believe and is baptized will be saved. So you got somebody who's, who's dunked in water, interacts with water in some way, but they're not a believer, but they're still saved by that. And that's actually quite a popular position. Yeah, what do you think that would manifest itself in? A, a lot of times I think we see this with the idea of infant baptism. Because um, I think we can pretty well agree. I mean, I've got a seven-month-old. You've got what? Six-month-old. Six-month-old. Six yeah. Months. So, yeah. Uh, little bit babies, um, not capable of belief, not capable of you know trusting in something. I mean, they're just baby doing baby stuff. Yeah, we I love them. We I could force my daughter to listen through the podcasts on Mark one through sixteen, <laughs> but she's she's not going to believe in Jesus after that. She doesn't have the ability to yet. She's right. still developing. Yeah. And so this is uh, an example because a lot of people say, okay, well, this baby needs to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins, but there is no belief going on there. And that's just not ever what we see in Scripture. Uh, we, I think, have talked a little bit about the concept of you know households being baptized, but when you see that, there, it doesn't tell you who's in those households. But we know from passages like this that belief is a prerequisite. It doesn't say, well, it doesn't matter if you believe or not. Just make sure you get wet and that then you'll be saved no matter how old or young you are. No, it says you have to put your trust in Jesus. You got to believe him and then you are immersed based on that belief and then you will be saved. So that idea of if you do not believe, but you are baptized, you will be saved. That's not a biblical picture here. Yes, and we might have some viewers um, who, who believe you need to be baptized as an infant, and there might be some who were baptized as an infant. And we would simply just suggest, like we're doing now, to search the scriptures for that kind of thing. Um, it's not something we see, but it is a, it's an important question to ask because that is a very, very popular view in churches today. And then uh, coming to this, and also I think another view that some people take is that you, can, you need to believe, but you do not need to be baptized. Um, so if you believe and are not baptized, you will be saved. And I think what we would call that is, is kind of like faith alone. You might have heard that. All, all you need to do is have faith. You know, faith and belief, it's kind of the same Greek word. It's the idea to trust in God, believe that he is, and all that good stuff. And that's all that's required of you in order to be saved. Yeah, and this is also a very popular way of looking at the Bible. And there are passages like Ephesians chapter 2 that talk about we are saved by grace through faith and not of our works so that anyone can boast. And yeah, amen. amen. You know, we're not trying to say like, oh, our own works save us. You know, baptism by itself saves you. You know, just be baptized and like that. That does all the work. No, the blood of Jesus is what's doing the work here. This really leads into a much larger discussion of faith and works and um, kind of a big, you know, the whole theological systems sure. are, are, are built on this. We're not going to discuss all the nuances of that on the program. But this idea of he who believes and is not baptized will be saved. Um, when you just think about that, like that is what a lot of theologies are teaching, that you do not have to be baptized. It's good, it's important, but it is not something that is necessary for salvation. And that's simply not what we see in the New Testament. Again, we read Acts 2.38 just a minute ago, but I want to just go back again to that verse and see how clear the language is here. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, And Peter said to them, Repent 
and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We talked about Romans chapter 6, and that's the moment where we are buried with Christ in baptism. That's when we receive his blood. We are united with him in his death and in his resurrection. Um, 1 Peter chapter 3, another powerful passage about this, um, in where Peter in chapter 3 has been talking about Noah and some parallels to Jesus. But in verse uh, 20, uh, 1 Peter 3 verse 20, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you see the means and the power mm-hmm. there. The power is in the resurrection of Jesus and his death. But the means is baptism now saves you. I mean, that's literally what it says. And so there's a strong connection in the New Testament between baptism and salvation. And that, of course, is exactly what Mark 16, 16 says. Yes, so it, you can take one of the four other views that we just went over, or you can err on the side of caution and just take the text for what it says. And of course, it's he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. And he who is disbelieved shall be condemned. Now, why doesn't it mention, you know, he who is not baptized shall be condemned? Like, it could have said that, right? Yeah, I could have. Well, I think the idea is all that it takes to be condemned is to not believe. If you don't believe... Why would you get baptized? He doesn't have to say the (laughs) baptism part because whether or not you're baptized, you're still condemned. All that it takes to condemn you is to not put your trust in Jesus. Uh, By ourselves, we're lost. We can't save ourselves. There's nothing we can do to rescue ourselves from sin. We need the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so sometimes people point that out here that it's not repeated there, but it doesn't need to be. Um, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. Um, That is what Jesus taught. And we see that borne out not just from this one text, but over and over and over throughout the rest of Scripture. I do think it's notable, since we're talking about the very end of Jesus' ministry, just to read what Jesus said in Matthew 28 as well. Uh, Again, he's sending out the disciples into the world, kind of the same thing. Uh, Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And then he's going to say how to do that. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Baptism is necessary, um, and I hope... We've been able to bear that out to you as you listen to this podcast. It's not optional. It's something that people who want to follow Jesus and take up their cross and follow him, it's something that they have to do. And there are a few other passages that we actually didn't even reference to to take this point home. And Lord willing, in the next episode, we're going to be starting the book of Acts. And guess what? We're going to see a lot of baptism in the book of Acts. We're going to see it over and over and over again and seeing people who want to follow Jesus commit their lives to Jesus in that way. And so we're excited to get to share that message with you uh, in the next, I guess, um, 
not episode, but next season of yeah. HPG Bible <laughs> That's Talks. That's right, new season. <laughs> Um, but if you have any questions about what you're hearing on the podcast today, we would love to hear from you. Uh, we realize that what we're teaching is not a very popular or mainstream interpretation, but we really believe this is what the Bible teaches, and we would love to hear questions. If you want, if you want to give us some pushback, we'd love to talk with you about this. This is really important, and we believe a matter of salvation. Um, so if you if you're enjoying what you're hearing on the podcast, uh, please subscribe, rate, review. Um, reach out to us, 717-585-0949. Uh, we've got online Bible studies going on. Uh, you can find those at capitalcitychristians.com or send us an email at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening today.